0: Good morning. My name is Brad. I'm one of the ministers here. Welcome back, all of you who haven't been with us uh, since the beginning of the summer. And uh, those of you who are new, um, particularly coming from UNT, TWU, NCTC, all that good stuff, you are welcome here this morning. And we want to tell you that uh, this may be the church for you, and it might not be, but we want to facilitate wherever God is, uh, you know, possibly placing you. And so if you have have one information, have questions about other churches in the area, Uh, Denton has a rich church uh, tradition and community, and so there are a lot of places for you to be. Um, And uh, so, anyway, you can talk to one of the people who kind of look like uh, leaders around here. Those of us who don't look like they're 20, Um, although I'm not, don't look that much older, right? I mean, I'm like I'm pretty pretty good for my age. Uh, It's two weeks in a row I've talked about my looks. So, Um, anyway, I want to remind those of you who've been with us over the summer and in. Form, those of you who haven't that one of the things we're working on right now in our worship as a community is our body's posture towards God and more than just our body's posture mind that kind of thing as well incorporating the body but instead of us just all kind of swaying like zombies uh, we have two guitarists usually and that's it and part of that is is intentional part of it uh, is that we don't want to have to try to do a whole bunch of uh, work to get things going we're kind of a small church we are very informal, grassroots, you know, we're renting a space, um, but you guys have to be the instruments in our worship. Uh, your, your body's posture, uh, those of you who really love God and uh, are faithful to him, you need to come prepared in worship each morning to really give it all you've got. You're here to revere God, uh, not to just catch up with people around you, um, and, uh, so you really need to kind of think through that as you're, uh, as you're singing. Okay. The swaying like zombies and kind of like barely singing, uh, you can think through the words. That's fine. You don't have to sing, uh, but just singing and not really paying attention to the process of revering God. Uh, with your whole body really isn't going to help you much in growing in your worship, and God, uh, worship towards God, okay? And we're going to be talking a lot about that as well uh, through the Psalms and some of the things we're doing uh, this, this semester with our sermon series. Grant, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I want to reiterate that just for the recording because I think it's important. Um, you know, living based on our feelings, which are really important and make life rich, that's really what kids do, uh, more or less, and as uh, although God wants a childlike faith, I'm not so sure he wants us to live from emotion to emotion. If emotions are your reality, then your life is going to be pretty weird and uh, all over the place. And I think that's a good point. When we worship God, we worship out of a will, uh, whether we feel like it or not. And the feelings are icing on the cake when we do, and that's great. But we know that our feelings can often lead us astray. And so I think that's an important point. Uh, I'm going to make a few announcements. We really don't have very many announcements today. Uh, the first one is I'm going to pass around our small group list. This is only for those of you who are not in college. So if you're in college and you see this clipboard, just pass it real quick, all right? Uh, we've got most of our small groups. Um, a lot of you have already signed up. Please don't sign up twice. I don't have to look through, you know, multiple names uh, and put you in, like, separate groups. Uh, so just, you know, if you already, there, if you can look at the back, there's already signatures, you know, our, uh, your information there and the information there. So if you are not in uh uh, and a college and you haven't signed up for a small group yet, go ahead. We're going to pass this across the rows. This is kind of difficult. So, Opal, yeah, Nicole. Yeah, yeah, right. Got it. Good. Okay. Awesome. Wonderful. Weird. Um, the other thing is we're going to pass the offering basket. Uh, we're going to avoid talking uh, uh, or continuing our offering series, why so many of you are kind of new, but we'll pick back up on it in about two or three weeks uh, when we've lost all of you new people. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um. And, uh, but we have been talking about giving uh, basically as a church, uh, just to kind of fill you in over the summer. We talked just kind of where we're at as a church, and uh, we have a lot of you are rookie givers, meaning you kind of give uh, you know, infrequently, and it's time for our church to grow up and to start giving consistently and giving generously. And so we won't talk too much about that again uh, until a couple weeks out, but I really want you to be thinking about that, uh, and hopefully you've internalized some of the things that uh, We've talked about, if you're one of those real technical statistic kind of people, uh, I'm going to put another ploy towards my awesome graphs and charts that I came up with a month ago. Uh, and honestly, it does have some cool information. It's on the Facebook page. It allows you to kind of figure out, okay, where what income bracket am I in and what would be a decent, like, you know, manageable 2.5% of my income to be able to give towards uh, church stuff. So yeah, I'm going to pass that. And we have one of those little credit card swipers in there too. All right well, I'm excited about starting this uh, new sermon series uh I still haven't really named it, I don't think, but we're talk- well, I think I did, but it's complex and I can't even remember it uh but we're talking about identity christian identity and and to be uh, be careful about searching Christian identity in Google because it's a hate fringe group uh that uh apparently thinks that only whites are christians so uh that's not what we're gonna to be talking about uh so Um, But we're going to talk about the idea of self and how we think about ourselves from a scriptural, biblical perspective. We're going to be drawing in a lot of of people, both men and women, uh, who are church theologians, church pastors, church, uh, just common church attendees from, you know, first century all the way up into our common time. And that's going to be one of the things that we'll do is try to talk about how different people have sort of seen or developed Uh, their identity in Christ, all right? But these next two sermons are going to kind of lay the foundation for this whole sermon series. And I'll just tell you ahead of time, we're going to be drawing from two places in particular. One, the Psalms, all right? Because the Psalms are jam-packed with uh, David, uh, you know, a majority or about half of the Psalms and others, including Moses, trying to figure out who the heck they are, okay? And who God is. And we've talked about how from last week, the most important point for a Christian to figure out their identity is the number one, understand who God is. And we talked last week from Abraham's story in uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and Moses at the burning bush, That the two things you got to get right about God to start off are one, if God is good. That is the starting point. You cannot possibly have faith or belief in God if you don't first believe he's good. Uh, or I guess you can, but it's not going to be a very accurate or realistic faith but you've got to determine if God is good. And two, it's got to go beyond God is good. You've got to understand if God is truly all-powerful because even if he's good and just a good dude that doesn't have a lot of power, that goodness isn't going anywhere outside of maybe him and a few people who follow him. But if God really is good and all-powerful, then goodness, God's goodness, is the foundation of everything in our world, including how we live, how we think about ourselves. And so that's the first thing. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Psalms. The second thing that I mentioned to you, so rereading the Psalms, and then the second thing is uh, all of Paul's in Christ, in the Lord uh, passages of Scripture. There's no better place in the New Testament to figure out who you are as a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, what Christian should be, than the in Christ phrases that Paul uses. There's like 170 of them, and there's variations of them, Okay. Uh, and we'll talk about that next week. I'll focus more on that. Today's the Psalms. Next week's in Christ passages. Uh, But those are the two places that we'll we'll be uh, working out of from this sermon series. In Christ, those phrases that Paul uses, okay, to define who we are, and the Psalms. Cool? Got it? Good? You all right? So if you follow along with us, uh, then you'll want to be reading both of those. And if you really, really, really want to be advanced, like super cool, uh, then you'll want to Connect the in Christ passages to Psalms. Whoa. I know that's trippy. It's not often that we think about the New Testament and Old Testament as having anything to do with each other, but as it turns out, they kind of do. Uh, So, if you can take an in Christ passage from Paul and connect it back to a Psalm, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, you don't even have to go to church the rest of the semester. You're good. You figured it out. You did the whole thing that we intended to do uh, right there. All right. So, as I said before, I'm Brad. Uh, I uh, started college back in 2001. All right, cool. At uh, UTD, go Comets, okay? I've got a couple degrees from there. Whoosh, that's right. We got some comets in here. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Yeah, comets are eagles, right? Uh, pioneers. Oh my gosh. That's... All right. Lions, at least, you know? But, uh... all right, cool. Anyway. Um, and I was a part of a ministry there called Focus, uh, back when it was a very, very small ministry, you know, 15, 20 people. And God, I felt like early in my faith, called me, okay, one of the few times I feel called by God to do something. Uh, surprisingly enough, I don't even necessarily feel called to ministry, but we'll talk about that later. And I um, felt called to go to UTD and be a part of this group uh, of Focus, and uh, after a couple of years of doing that, I graduated, went on to help start the Calling College Ministry Uh, where now my brother is, unfortunately, uh, tarnishing my reputation. And uh, lo and behold, he's also coming up here this next semester, which is also terrible. He just keeps following me. If there's one thing you need to know about Garrett, it's that he follows uh, everything that I do, okay? It's pretty much the only thing that you need to know. Now, sometimes he's actually better at it than, than I am, but still, I was the first one. So, Anyway. Uh, so uh, after a couple years of hiatus, which I do sometimes, I came up here to UNT in 2010 and helped start the, the ministry here. And uh, I taught college, really community college, in C.D.C. Colin, Richland for about 10 years. And now I'm a mechanic slash welder. Uh, so many of you know that from being at my, uh, my shop and me working on your cars and charging outrageous prices uh, because I'm your pastor and you think I'm honest. Uh, so. Anyway, uh, yeah, back in 2010, uh, when we had our kind of original group of people starting, we had an interesting group, no doubt. What I've learned in starting ministries and churches in the past is your, your beginning group, your starting group won't end up being your core group uh, as time goes on. Uh, starting groups just tend to be weird. They're weird people. They like no rules. They like to just kind of be a part of something. And then as the group gets more normal... Uh, those starting people just sort of trickle off, okay? Now, thankfully, we had a really strong team of, uh, of starting people in addition to our weird starting people uh, that had come from Colin. Anyway, we had two sets of girls that had really intense friendships. I'm talking intense friendships, all right? And sometimes those relationships were good. I mean, they could share with each other. They certainly identified with each other. Other times they were very harmful and that they were very, very exclusive. And they were just weird to me, okay. And up to this point, I had pretty much buffered myself from working with women that much. I grew up with two brothers. I don't know how, but I always had strong uh, female leaders. But my leaders were much younger than me in this case. And so, trying to deal with this, like we call them suck face relationships, but I don't—that's no, that's not the right way to say that, right? <laughs> Thinking back, bad, bad idea. Uh, but here I am sharing it with you. In the scripture, David and Jonathan have one of these relationships. Now, I know David and Jonathan have often been portrayed as having really, really good friendship. Uh, when David, uh, Jonathan dies, David says, you know, I love Jonathan so much. I loved him more than the love of a woman. And David loved women, all right? So that's what's really weird about that statement. Uh, folks in the LGBTQ community have often pointed to David and Jonathan's relationship as an actual gay relationship. Uh, <laughs> There's just no real evidence for that, um, but, you know, that's how intense their friendship was. It was incredibly intense, and uh, they did everything for each other. David, for, uh, Jonathan forsook his own father, his own family, uh, his own right to be the next king just so that he could protect David and see David, uh, you know, becoming the next king. In friendship, we see a lot about identity, all right? when people are close, close friends, you'll learn a lot about identity. Now, I've already defined identity, but I'll redefine it as not individuality. This is really important. Identity has more to do with belonging than it does with being unique, okay? When you identify something, an insect or something like that, my wife goes around our house daily picking up rocks and trying to find insects and things. Why? Oh, no, she loves it. I'll be sitting in the garage. She'll be coming up and just kind of walk in, pick up a rock, and just start kind of playing with the bugs under there like a child. It's pretty wonderful. I yeah, I do too. I think they're great. But when you... Yeah, when, this is my wife, Chelsea, by the way, you know? Well, sort of, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, so, side note, right? Um, well, Yeah. Identify. You identify a bug. The whole purpose is to figure out what family they belong to. It's not just to figure out their uniqueness, their individuality. The whole idea is about belonging. And that's what identity is about. We all have various identities apart from God, unfortunately, because we're fallen. And a lot of that has to do with whatever groups we feel we belong to. We've chosen some of them. Some of them have been more uh, ascribed to us based on race or gender or nationality or where we're from, whatever, but we have these belongings, okay? Friends tend to, close friends, find everything they can to agree with each other. They don't get really close by disagreeing with each other, right? That's not the point. When buddies get together, they don't just start, start talking about all the stuff they disagree about. Uh, you know, they talk about the stuff that, they, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of, we we believe these things, you know, we're, we're you know, Uh, pulled together by these certain things. All right. So uh, when, uh, so when you get David and Jonathan, all right, and you get their relationship uh, as being as close as it is, you've got to kind of ask the question, where is it that their identity is sort of seen in this relationship? What's, what's happening here? Is this identity really based on uh, God and who he is and what he wants for them? Or is it based more on the situation, uh, you know, what's going on around it? But we'll come back to that in in just a moment. So identity is trying to identify with others in a meaningful way. So I wanna uh, present, I think, uh, maybe a counterpoint to an idea that many of us who grew up in the church have. And that is that David is often called what? Man after God's own heart, right? So we hear that a lot. And it begs the question, so what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that God is identifying with David in some sort of special or unique way? Because if he is, we've got a lot of issues to address. David was not that great of a guy. And I know a lot of us, this is going against your, you know, like uh, childhood Bible beliefs that David was like the dude and you had to kind of like, you know, love him and almost worship him uh, uh, because, you know, he was so great. But the the Bible really doesn't present David in a great light. Samuel talks all about God chastising him. Chronicles talks about him being the repentant sinner. Psalms kind of has a good version of him, but guys, when, when David's talking about breaking little kids' teeth and dashing their heads to rocks and wanting God to do all these vicious and awful things, I'm not so sure, again, David can truly reflect or identify with God's heart without some real work to figure out exactly what's going on. So, calls him a man after his own heart. We're gonna have to figure that out uh, because David has a really, really tough life, right? When he's young, uh, he's ostracized by his brothers. Uh, He goes out and, you know, fights Goliath, which is just a great victory. Uh, He goes through this kind of life of high highs and low lows, all right? he's attacked by uh, Jonathan, his best friend's dad, At one point, you see the character of David when he's young, this really good guy. He's sitting, actually, he's he's in a cave hiding with his 500 men from Saul who's trying to kill him. Okay, kill him because he knows that God has rejected him and wants to put David in this kingship spot. And so Saul comes up to the opening of the cave and starts urinating. It's a fun Bible story. And all of David's men are like, dude, God has delivered him into your hand. Boom, take him. And So David, in kind of a moment of like, maybe identifying too closely with his friends and these warriors, and then forgetting that God, you know, maybe hasn't informed him that this is the right time, tears a little piece off of uh, Saul's cloak, and then feels really guilty about it. Because he's like, wait a second, I did this to identify and belong with this group of warriors who told me that God was leading uh, Saul into my hands, but in reality, I knew this wasn't from God. So contrast that with the David a few years later who straight up is peeping Tom on Bathsheba and then kills her husband because he wants to sleep with her. How do you deal with those two Davids? And more importantly, how could God possibly say that David is a man after his own heart? This is where things get tricky. All right, he's certainly a repentant dude, uh, but I think the the point of David and David's story And the only way that I can possibly attribute his identifying with God is that David never gives up on God, all right? When Nathan comes and tells him this awful story about a guy who was peeping Tom on a girl and then killed her husband, he's indignant. And then immediately when he realizes it's him, he comes back and recognizes his sin and lives with it for the rest of his life, which causes all kinds of heartache. But through all of that, he goes back to God time and time again. And if there's one thing different about David than Saul in particular, but other characters, is that he figures out what he's done wrong in relationship to who God is and comes back to God time and time again. And I think that's really the only way you can think about David as being after God's own heart. Not to mention the fact that in those two passages he's called after God's own heart, God's really just comparing him to Saul and how Saul is not after God's own heart. Remember Saul's biggest sin was that he, like David in the tearing of the cloak, was under pressure from all the people of Israel to kill the king or to spare the king and take all the riches from the nations that they had plundered. And God said, don't do that, wipe them out entirely. It's a whole other issue. Um, so Saul really did not put his trust in in God, but David did, and I think this is the the best we can do with the whole uh, after my own heart thing, so David's highs, David's lows, this is exactly how Psalms is written, Psalms is written not like, so imagine this, you haven't seen a friend in a long time, all right, and it's a good friend, but you haven't seen him in a long time, and so you're going to sit down for coffee or food or whatever, and you're going to talk, You're gonna start telling them about all the mundane things you did in the last week? No. You're gonna tell them about the highs and lows of your life since you've seen each other. That is what Psalms is. Psalms is a highs and lows book. And I'm gonna give you two examples when we read Psalm 4 and Psalm 6 in a moment. It's highs and lows. And what you see in these highs and lows from these various people, Psalms is, is broken up into five books. People have argued all day long about what those books actually mean, what, they're, what you could uh, you know, attribute them to. I think the best way to look at Psalms is probably just to look at Israel's history from decent with God and secure with him to like exile to back and restored at the end of the book. That's actually kind of a lot like David's life itself. Remember, David only wrote half of the Psalms, so you've got Moses, you've got a whole lot of Solomon, you've got other kings that are writing these Psalms. But the one theme of Psalms is high highs, low lows. And why is this book so important for identity? Well, it's important because it's often the mundane things in life that determine our identity, but it's the highs and lows that test that identity that's been shaped, okay? And so what we see in Psalms is not David's mundane, everyday God working on his identity. It's the testing of his identity and the high highs and the low lows. It's the same for us. Daily, day in, day out, our identity is shaped by God, shaped by others, shaped by the society around us. But it's not until the high highs of life or the low lows that we really get that identity tested. And so what you're gonna find in Psalms is this rich, 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 rich language that that David and other authors have and talking to God in the highs and the lows of their life. And it's honest conversation. It's honest conversation, okay? The Psalms are not meant to be like, this is the prayer I should pray. Although monks for about a thousand years would pray through the Psalms every week. Think about that. That's so much material. They would pray through the Psalms every week. And there are certain Psalms, about 16 of them that are called Precatory Psalms. I think that's the right word. I don't know why it has to be so complicated. And they're basically just Psalms where the authors are like, God, will you kill all these people around me? Because I am tired of them. And will you kill them in some awful ways? Because it's not enough just to kill them. Okay? And these Psalms have posed a problem for peace-loving Christians that follow Jesus for years and years. What the monks did, they just basically allegorized them all pretended like, you know, he's not really talking about enemies, enemies. He's talking about like sin, pride. He dashed those babies' heads on rocks and he dashed pride's head on rocks. (laughs) Well, that's a convenient way to not deal with the highs of psalms and the lows of psalms. But I think a better way to look at that is to understand that while these aren't a mirror for our prayers, they are David dealing with his identity before God and the highs of his life and the lows of his life. And the Psalms just do that over and over and over and over again. And uh, and as we read through those, hopefully you'll have that in your mind uh, because uh, that's important. And the major question you can ask always is, do we trust God or do we chart our own path? Just like in Psalm 1, it talks about meditating on the Bible day and night, the law, hearing God speak, not charting our own path. It's a dead end path. And do we trust God? Uh, to really shape our identity and who we are, or are we looking for other places, whether it's within others or with ourselves, uh, to really shape uh, our identity? So I want to read Psalm 4 and 6 for you, uh, and together, if you will, in the message. I would suggest that as you're reading the Psalms, I don't normally say NIV is terrible for reading, uh, but it is terrible for reading the Psalms. All right, because you lose the rich language of the literal and you, you lose the uh, figurative language of you know, stuff that would have connected with them. So my recommendation to you is that you read the Psalms through this series in two versions. And those of you who are like, versions? Why are they talking about versions? This is terrible, right? This is like su- super uh, heady and academic. Now, it's, it's really accessible, guys. It's, you don't have to go buy another Bible. I mean, Bible Gateway, most of you don't even have Bibles. Don't lie to me. Uh, we have like a whole huge you know, case of Bibles with all your names on it. Uh, and uh, yes, yeah, so you just read on your phone, you check the ver- uh, click the version, you're good to go. NRSV, New Revised Standard Version, NRSV, NRSV. That's one. This is gonna be a much more literal reading. It's gonna help you a lot in understanding exactly what the language that, uh, that the psalmists are actually using. And then the message is great. Sometimes the message is a little bit fast and loose, but it's basically just sort of like a modern day version of uh, what these uh, idioms, what these figures of speech would actually be for us. So NRSV and The Message are both very, very helpful for reading through the Psalms and trying to understand uh, what exactly is going on. Sound good? So let's turn to Psalm 4. And uh, let's read that together. These are fairly short, but I wanted to give you kind of a, a quick understanding of the sort of highs and lows thing that I'm talking about. When I call, give me answers. God, take my side. Once in a tight place, you gave me room. Now I'm in trouble again. Grace me, hear me. You rabble, how long do I put up with your scorn? How long will you lust after lies? How long will you live crazed by illusion? Look at this. Look, who got picked by God? He listens the split second I called to him. Complain if you must, but don't lash out. Keep your mouth shut and let your heart do the talking. Build your case before God and wait for his verdict. Who is everyone, why is everyone hungry for more? More and more, they say, more and more. I have God's more than enough, more joy in one ordinary day than they get in all their shopping sprees. At day's end, I'm ready for sound sleep. For you, God, I've put my life back together. You meditate on that, think about that. You know, David and his identity finds so much more in the presence of God and understanding who God is than he does from in the presence of all the things that you can buy, all the things that you can want, all of the wisdom that people around him have, he finds great identity in just having one ordinary day with God. And being able to talk to God is a huge, huge deal for him. Okay, and then the next one's gonna be Psalm 6. Please God, no more yelling, no more trips to the woodshed. (laughs) See, the message gets fast and loose with this, all right? The whole image is supposed to be comic right I mean comic in the midst of pain God taking him out to the woodshed and shed and giving him a beating it just does not sound like God maybe or whatever treat me nice for a change I'm so starved for affection can't you see I'm black and blue beat up badly in bones and soul God how long will it take for you to let up break in God and break up this fight if you love me at all get me out of here I'm no good to you dead am I I can't sing in your choir if I'm Buried in some tomb? I'm tired of all this, so tired. My bed has been floating 40 days and nights on the flood of my tears. My mattress is soaked, soggy with tears. The sockets of my eyes are black holes. Nearly blind, I squint and grope. Get out of here, you devil's crew. At last, God has heard my sob. My requests have all been granted. My prayers are answered. Cowards, my enemies disappear. Disgrace, they turn tail and run. So guys, uh, really take some time. Uh, you know, particularly next next week, uh, to read through some of these Psalms. And if you want to, again, be that kind of goody goody teacher's pet, advanced uh, person, uh, read the first 15 uh, verses of chapter Ephesians chapter 2. You're going to get like three different in Christ references from Paul. And then try to go back and find a Psalm uh, that connects back up with what, what Paul is saying is our identity in Christ. All right? So, Ephesians 2, first 15 verses. And uh, this is the made alive in Christ thing. First, start with like, okay, what does this say? What is Paul saying about my identity in God? And then try to find a psalm that sort of backs that up, whether it's a psalm that, you know, is uh, uh, someone crying out in disbelief for the things that, you know, Paul is saying, or a psalm that uh, simply is reflecting on it and appreciating that thing that's so hard to believe that we are in Christ. All right, kind of makes sense. Yeah, Good. So a couple things, uh, just for those of you who are kind of newbies, I have a tendency to go off in tangents and get a little crazy, and you know, uh, you are always welcome to stop us in the middle of a sermon or conversation, raise your hand, ask a question, ask for something to be repeated, uh, whatever it is. And usually after our sermons we take, or at least the last couple of weeks, we have I've been taking two or three minutes just to maybe if you have a question or thought or something like that, share. And, uh, and please, if you've got something on your heart, uh, do that. It can be very, very helpful for someone else sitting nearby you. So any questions about that or what we're gonna be doing with this identity thing or anything, yeah, go for it. Uh, could you repeat, uh, what- Ephesians 2, verse 15 verses. And if you'll just kind of uh, highlight the in Christ or in God or in the Lord phrases, that'll help you figure out, okay, what is Paul saying about our identity in Christ? All right, <laughs> it would be a good question just to, to, to figure out if you believe that. But you can write it down for now, and to try to find some psalm that uh, that kind of mirrors or reflects or emphasizes that same uh, identity thing, that same in Christ thing. And and if it's difficult, you can do something that's you know uh, maybe someone in the psalm wondering if they are. I mean, listen, David goes here in a matter of two psalms from "You hear my every word" to "Stop ignoring me, I'm starved for your affection." Like, (laughs) dude was not bipolar. I don't think. I'm just these are the highs and highs, lows and lows of life. Uh, if all of our words were strung together, uh, we would probably all look really bipolar. And I'm not you know, saying that in any kind of comic way. I understand bipolar is a serious mental illness, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, from one week to the next, depending on how we're doing, um, you know, how we think about uh, ourselves changes drastically. Yeah, Maro, I'm done with them. <laughs> to be honest, they, they have a weird friendship. And I'm not for sure where I'm at with it. On, one, on a good day, I'm like, this is a good friendship. On another, I'm like, what's wrong with them, man? That's crazy. Some weird stuff. Guys, one of the things that's really important as you read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a narrative that narrates what has been done. It is not a moral story, even though many of us often pull morals from it. The Hebrew authors were not interested in giving you a moral story, particularly when it comes to the characters of Scripture. Almost never the characters are the focus of the scripture. God is always the focus of it. And it's God in relationship to these characters. And too many of us have pulled David and Jonathan, all these characters, and tried to imitate their behavior as if they're good dudes uh, and good ladies. The point is not that they're good or that they've done good things. In fact, a bigger point is that they've messed up. Think about the disciples, man. All of them were messed up. The point is that in relationship with, with God, they can reach their potential that God has given them. And, and that's really the point of scripture and the point of the Old Testament, which is uh, so easily lost on us because we love to pull our identity from people and from the world around us rather than from, from God himself. Uh, yeah, Kevin? NIV is great. NIV for the New Testament is fine. It's great. No big deal. Any others? I'll say a prayer. We'll come back. We'll sing, I believe, one uh, or two more songs and then uh, we'll be done. Lord God, shape our identity. Help us to become more and more like Christ. Help us to understand what it is that you've actually done in our hearts and in our minds, objectively have done for us. Help us to believe those things and continue to be built up more and more in your image. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We thank you so much for Jesus. Amen. You know, I had a scripture I wanted to read real quick before you get up sorry to pull that on you, but I was kind of thinking about this. John 14, this would be a good communion scripture and it kind of popped in my mind. It's 14 verse 31. This one has always stuck out to me. And I think it pairs well with what we've been talking about today. Uh, I'm gonna start in verse 30. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world, meaning Satan is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. You know, that passage is super interesting because what Jesus is ultimately saying is I'm, you know, Satan is coming to kill me and I'm going to do exactly play into his hands because I trust the Father to do what the Father does. And this is David's heart. In the lows and the highs, it's to trust ultimately that God knows what he's doing and not to chart his own path. All right, you guys can uh, take communion and come on back and then we'll, uh, we'll finish up.